Welcome to the Herbs with Rosalie podcast, a show exploring how herbs heal as medicine, as food, and through nature connection. I'm your host, Rosalie de la Forêt. I'm an herbalist teacher and the best-selling author of the books Alchemy of Herbs and Wild Remedies. I created this podcast to share trusted herbal wisdom so that you can get the best results when relying on herbs for your health. I love offering up practical knowledge to help you dive deeper into the world of medicinal plants and seasonal living. My goal is that you'll walk away from each episode feeling inspired to start working with herbs in your everyday life. Each episode of the podcast is available on my Herbs with Rosalie YouTube channel, as well as your favorite podcast app. Transcripts and recipes for each episode can be found at herbswithrosaliepodcast.com. To get the latest news, as well as fun bonuses, be sure to sign up for my weekly herbal newsletter. Okay, grab your cup of tea. Let's dive in. I'm so thrilled to bring you this conversation with Erica Gallantin. Erica is a clinical herbalist and co-creatrix of Sovereignty Herbs in Athens and Columbus, Ohio. She holds a degree in herbal medicine from the University of Wales, Cardiff, UK, and Scottish School of Herbal Medicine. She is a professional member of the National Institute of Medical Herbalists in the UK and the American Herbalist Guild in the USA. Over a decade of clinical practice has provided a platform for witnessing the efficacy of medicinal plants and aromatics within a clinical environment. And she's a firm believer in celebrating the role that emotions and the psyche play in the ecology of our physical terrain. Erica's clinical approach to herbalism seeks to encourage positive learned relationships between plants and people and people and their bodies. Well, welcome to the podcast, Erica. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It's really great to be here. Oh, yeah. Well, I am so excited to have you here. I sought you out a couple times, so I was very excited to have you on the show. I'm excited for all that we're going to talk about today. And to get started, I would love to hear more about your plant path and how you found this way into your life. Yeah. So it's so funny. I how many ever how many times I feel like I've told this story, it seems like it gets longer and longer each time. <laughs> But, you know, I coming to, I think coming to herbalism has like, I don't know, there's like three main things that stand out for me. One is I, I, I came from a family of doctors and gardeners. So there was, you know, growing up, there was a, a, a love of medicine, but there was also this love of, of gardening. And my, my grandfather in particular, Marshall Guthrie, he was uh, he not only was he an MD, he was also a rosarian, and he did a lot of testing for Jack and Perkins. Oh, I can't remember the name of the rose growers. Someone mm-hmm. could probably correct me on on how you say it. But so there was, I think it always kind of part of me believes that it was sort of a natural generational evolution that I I was going to come to both plants and and medicine. So maybe I was always destined. I'm not sure, but I do know that, you know, for a lot of people, myself included, we arrive at the plants uh, in a a way that we are trying to discover our own healing. And so, you know, like a lot of people, I think I first came to herbalism to try to gain some empowerment over my health and wellness in areas that, you know, couldn't necessarily be attended to 
uh, you know, within the kind of standard Western medical paradigm. And, and it was amazing when I kind of knocked on that door of the plant kingdom and the, even the philosophy behind using plants to help oneself, the universe just kind of expanded in this like amazing vacuumous kind of way and just sucked me right in. And it was, mm -hmm. I was living out in Oregon at the time, actually in Eugene, it was the uh, late nineties, early two thousands. And I was kind of in the middle of my barefoot revolution anyway. So it was a perfect, it was a perfect environment, perfect time for me to kind of, you know, to, to really start diving in and learning. And there were so many great teachers around and the Eugene area at that time. And so I think that's another reason why I ended up becoming an herbalist was, you know, I was seeking out predominantly my own healing. And then, yeah, we just wanted to share it with others, I guess. So various and sundry things happened. And I um, basically found myself getting accepted to a four-year degree program over the UK. And that was with the Scottish School of Herbal Medicine in Glasgow. <laughs> Don't really know how that it was kind of a whirlwind. And then all of a sudden I was like, I'm going to be moving to the UK. Uh, and I was definitely privileged enough to do so. And so off I went. And it kind of leads me to my third, you know, the third thing that sticks out to me about why I became an herbalist. And it was on the very first day of class. Um, I'm sitting with my my class, our cohort, if you will, class of 2006. And uh, one of my teachers, the one of the headmasters of the school, Keith Robertson, was having this, his big speech on the first day for all the new students, you know, and he's got this very epic way of speaking that's, you know, very luring and very inspiring and very intense uh, with his Scottish brogue and uh, his seriousness and his passion and his heart. And so I remember he said this, he said, don't you think for a second that it is you who have chosen the plants for it is the plants who have chosen you. Hmm. And I think, you know, 20 years later, that still sticks in my heart the loudest, you know? Mm -hmm. So it's like, if people ask me, why did you come to herbalism? I, I can feel that one in my heart deeply, you know, my, I came to it because of my own healing. I came to it because of my heritage, I think, but I also came to it because the plants called me in. I like to feel special that way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I have to ask, was the your time in Scotland. So I have like a very deep love of Scotland. And yeah. so the idea of like, you know, going there and studying in an official school that's so well established and being surrounded by other herbal students and herbal mentors and being in Scotland, like, is it as dreamy and as romantic as it sounds? On one hand, yes. On one hand, yes. It, the best years of my life thus far, really. And in one particular, I've had lots of great years, but th that it was a particular era of time that was just, it was magnificent. It was hard too. There's something about, you know, going into a, a four-year degree herbalism program like that, where you kind of go in a bit, you know, it's it's fantastical and I'm going to be an herbalist and I have this image of, and this fantasy of what being an herbalist is all about. And once you get in there, especially that program, which was very difficult, you realize the amount of work you have to do on yourself mm -hmm. uh, in order to actually be able to uh, learn how to hold space for other people on their healing journey. And so that in itself was very, at times, eviscerating, actually. And mm -hmm. I had to, you know, it was, but it was great because the program was kind of, we had a, you know, we had someone who did professional development work with us one-on-one -on -one throughout the course to help make sure we weren't, you know, going too far afield and that we had support. But I definitely started that program as one person and left as a 
kind of completely different person. So it was, it was very alchemical that way. And, and so the landscape is wonderful and Glasgow itself is just, it's, it's, it's raw Scotland, you know, and just an amazing place for, for sure. It does rain a lot though. I'm just going to say <laughs> I had to, I really felt like for, I did end up coming back. I did a couple of years in full-time clinical practice over there before I decided to kind of jump ship and move back to the United States. And it was funny because it was actually, I took two weeks off around my birthday, which is in July. And I was sitting out in the back garden outside my flat and it was like, oh my gosh, the sun felt so good. And it was like, finally it felt, I felt warm. And I thought to myself, I got to get out of here. I got to go back to the States. I got to go where the sun shines a little more. more um, of that, yeah. yeah. So it did the rain. It does rain a lot, but it is, it is a magical land. And the history there is just, it's old, you know, it's old, old. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. And that's my, you know, my half of my family's from there. So it was good to kind of be back in the land of my ancestors for a while. And that felt authentic. Yeah. Yeah. And so you correct me if I'm wrong, but it sounds like you felt the calling to be a clinical early herbalist early on, which, you know, there's so many different ways to be an herbalist, a community herbalist, home herbalist, gardener, wild crafter, you name it. I don't like to box in the term herbalist, but you felt that calling early on and you were very serious about going to get the schooling you needed in order to have that. Um, yes, I knowledge. was. Yeah. Yeah. I knew it was, it was, a. I knew it was my path. I wasn't sure exactly what it was going to look like or if I was ever actually going to be able to make a living or anything like that. It None of it really mattered. It just kind of, I just felt like I, that was going to be my role. I was going to be that person that was going to be working with other people and with the plants and bringing them together in that kind of clinical way. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm excited to talk about the ways in which you do that too, because your distillations and your particular classes, like they are very unique in their you know, presentation and how you weave together the world of herbalism and plants. And so I'm hoping that'll come up naturally. And if it doesn't, I'll start asking questions. But Great. I am excited to hear about rosemary. And yes. why, I want to start with just why were you inspired to talk about rosemary today? So I feel like, gosh, I, I see, I think of rosemary and I just I have this huge smile on my face. I can't help it. I think rosemary is one of those plants that, you know, people talk about plant allies is definitely one of mine. And I'm not exactly sure. I can't really remember the moment that I made the decision, but I had to do a dissertation at the Scottish school. And I knew that I, where my interests were kind of focused were in this crossover between, you know, our emotional realm or, you know, what, you know, Jungian psychology was, you know, kind of referred to as the psyche, where that intersects with our physiology and our health and well-being. And this idea that, you know, it was becoming very clear to me after sitting in clinic for four years as a student that the, the folks who were showing up had, th there was an enormous amount of intersectionality between what was going on in their emotional lives and in their psyche and what was actually going on in their body. And it was this, it's a bi-directional conversation between body and, and psyche and psyche and body. And so um, I was trying to look at for tangible ways of kind of bringing more symbolic medicine into this kind of clinical practice. And the way that I was trained to practice was very, you know, we had patients. <gasps> 
we could diagnose, treat, and prescribe. Oh my goodness, I could take blood samples and urine samples and put my hands on people. And it's a whole different kettle of fish over there. But I just want to interject just so people know you cannot do that in the United States. That's you why cannot. Yes, yeah. you can't. Not not as an unlicensed practitioner like I am here yet. So it was it was very important to me to start to bring a little bit more of the the folklore back into that clinical setting. It was and, and the Scottish school is very supportive of this. It's, it was a wonderful program. It was focused a lot on on plant relationships and energetics and kind of you know it wasn't such a surgical program where, you know, it was in surgical, I mean, metaphorically that, you know, it was, mm -hmm. it was open to the different ways of, of plant wisdom coming into the clinic. And so I, I wanted to, I wanted to focus on this idea of symbolic medicine or talismanic medicine. And so I decided to look specifically at the grieving process. And this is where Rosemary comes in because what I was trying to do was find, well, I, I at the time I did this very extensive literature review going into the studies of grief and kind of some of the phys physiological impacts of grief on the human body. So how, how grief can affect the way our body functions. And it almost just kind of came naturally out of just starting to read a little bit more about this, the grieving process and what was happening in people's bodies. And it was just like rosemary, rosemary, rosemary mm. just started coming into the, into the, into my mind, into my heart. And so, so I started looking into rosemary and I, I started to dive as deep as I could into its folkloric uses and some of its folklore and its, uh, its origin story is actually kind of really what pulled me in. Yeah, maybe I could. Do you mind if I just read you a little bit about this origin story that I found oh, about I'm Rosemary? So curious. That was my next question. Like, what is this? <laughs> Please share. So I found, and there some some Greco-Roman scholars argue that the the plant that I'm referring to is actually frankincense, but I disagree. It's more likely to be rosemary. But it's a story out of Metamorphosis by Ovid, and so this is what I've written. <clears throat> Ovid writes that the rosemary originated from the metamorphosis of a young girl named Lakotha, daughter of the king of Sparta. Lakotha was loved by the god of the sun, who eventually had an affair with her, as gods back then did. This affair greatly angered the king and led him to bury Lakotha alive, because I guess that's what kings did to their daughters back then. Distraught with grief of his beloved, the god of the sun opened up her grave and tried to revive her with his rays. All was in vain until he covered her body with nectar, commanding her to rise and touch the sky. As if by magic, the girl's body dug roots deep into the earth and sprouted a rod that raised its head toward heaven, bearing the fragrance of the nectar that had covered it. Thus, the rosemary was born. And so, you know, that to me was this origin story of this plant that just grew out of this loss, this huge amount of loss and this love, um, because where there is loss, there is often love. And so, so that was it. I was like, okay, I'm going to go and do as much digging as I can about rosemary. And so I, I found all these references in, you know, there's a lot of references to it in yeah, English folklore, Welsh folklore. Uh, especially surrounding its use at funerals. Shakespeare writes about it as, you know, in, uh, in Hamlet, you know, here's Rosemary, this is for remembrance. Ophelia is like shaking it at Hamlet saying, please, I, I pray you love, remember. So I think about memory is, is a lot of, not just about, oh, I can't remember what date it is, but also holding the memories of others that we have lost, or again, another act of love. And then of course, looking at some of Rosemary's more kind of 
astrological association. So like in the field of medical astrology, Nicholas Culpepper talks about rosemary being a, an herb of the sun. And this is, uh, this is a planet that is really an archetype of the heart. And of course, you know, there's all kinds of energetics that goes with that and the herbal side of things, but then the pharmacology. So looking at what, what was available at back then, and this is 2006, and what was available uh, uh, regarding, you know, the, the chemistry of rosemary and how it was, you know, hypothesized to be functioning in the body, why it is thought to have some of the properties as it, that it does. It was just amazing how they started to very much match up with some of these impacts of the grieving process on the physical body. So on, on one side we had with the with what was referred to in the literature as kind of complex grief, right? So grief that is everyone grieves differently for sure, but sometimes we can get stuck and, and grief is, does not become an integrated part of us. It ends up becoming almost sometimes pathological or problematic or prolonged. There's many words that were used to describe this phenomenon, but when they were studying it, there were a variety of outcomes, health outcomes, including immune system health outcomes, um, including the development of cancer. There was uh, obviously mental health outcomes, for example, clinical depression, uh, inflammation. One that I thought was the most amazing was cardiovascular outcomes. And there is actually something called broken heart syndrome. And so, so here I was going like, whoa, this is rosemary. Rosemary mm -hmm. is, you know, even its its traditional use, you know, and 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 herbalists have been writing about this plant for centuries, especially surrounding the heart and its benefits for supporting the heart and circulation. And but here we also had this incredible amount of information coming out of the pharmacology research, you know, of this kind of modern 21st century. So that that's I was just like, wow. So I I ended my dissertation with this whole idea that, you know, we need to start bringing in, I, again, I was looking a lot at uh, Carl Jung's work as well, and this idea of ritual and ceremony being a very important to the psyche, very important to our emotional well-being. And whatever, wh for whatever it is for anyone, doesn't it's not kind of religion-based or spirituality-based, it's just that idea of, of ritualizing or ceremonializing or acting in memory of that we needed to start really kind of bringing plants into the clinic this way. And so I ended with this, uh, you know, this idea that rosemary really is a plant that can be used symbolically in these times of grief, especially, you know, the loss of a loved one, and that we can bring it back the way that they did in England and Wales, where you would wear it on your lapel for weeks on end. It was a symbol that you were, that you were grieving. And I had a friend here in the United States that several years ago, you know, they lost their, their young son to heart complications. And I remember being able to kind of bring this beautiful sprig of rosemary for her, for the mother anyway, to, to just have on her lapel while we were going, they were going through the service and the burial of their child, you know, and she remarked to me many years later, how they got her through that day, being able to just hold it and pinch it and smell it and have that aroma there. It was, it was such a comfort to her. Right. And, and that's very real, you know, mm -hmm. and that's, I mean, that's herbalism. Mm -hmm. It doesn't get any more real than that. And okay, maybe we can't prove its benefit in a clinical trial, but I bet you if they tried, <laughs> they'd find that rosemary is incredibly comforting for a broken heart. So I love that word that you're using, comforting, because yes. you think about something so deeply heartbreaking as losing a child. Obviously, rosemary is not going to erase that. It doesn't make right. everything all better. 
But yes. in that intense moment of heartbreak and tragedy to have even a little bit of comfort is, you know, such a, a respite. So I just, I really like that word and, and how to just like framing how herbs can be supportive and comforting to us and how, what an important role that is beyond yeah. just, you know, like X, Y, Z does this. Yeah. See, then that X, Y, Z does this idea is really one that I advocate against in my work simply because I just feel like that's not the role that herbalism plays in people's lives. You know, I, I never like to talk about, you know, it's not like, I'm, for example, like use rosemary when you're sad, you know, it will treat your sadness because of course we don't treat things, but uh, it's also, I just don't feel like that's how herbs work. They don't fix problems, but they do provide us with some really amazing tools for us to kind of work through these problems in the various and sundry ways that we need to. It's like this wonderful tool and this tool set that we can then employ to support us on our own journey to wellness. So I, I always find it's interesting. I, I have a lot of educating that I have to do with my clients regarding this this phenomenon exactly where it's like, you know, the the question you get is like, well, what do you what do you have for my diabetes? And I'm like, nothing. I don't have anything for your diabetes, but let's, let's talk about your nutrition and let's talk about, you know, your exercise and let's talk about things like that. And then we can talk about maybe there'll be some herbs that can help you. So it's, it's less about, you know, treating problems and more about supporting the body and also in my work supporting the psyche. So, mm -hmm. yeah. And is, I assume that rosemary is a plant that you like to distill. Oh gosh. Yes. Although I have to say, I have a little bit of West Coast rosemary envy um, because I was, when I was in Oregon a couple of years ago, even I was, I was up in Portland on my way down to, well, my way out to Brighton Bush before it burned, poor place. I was walking around Portland and I was just like these huge bushes of rosemary everywhere. And I'm like, they're massive. I had forgotten that Oregon can really grow great rosemary. And over here in Ohio, where I, I live, I'm down in the Appalachian part of the state, southeast Ohio, where it's very, it's very humid and damp. Uh, there's not a lot of like good airflow. And these are all the things that rosemary doesn't like. So I'm, I'm fortunate if I can grow like a tiny rosemary, you know, maybe enough to distill. But it is actually one of my, my favorite plants to work with that way with the aromatics. Yep. And there's something magical actually about the hydrosol, which is because the essential oil can be, it's very cutting. It's like I put my hand on the face of the sun and it's like, ow, wow, that's really cutting, you know, but the hydrosol, it's magical. And in, I think a lot of ways kind of captures the soul of rosemary, which is actually mm -hmm. also this dew of the sea, right? This, the, the watery part of the medicine kind of comes out, or if I, I can't really call it medicine, but the watery part of that, the plant's prowess comes out in this hydrosol medium. And it's really, it's really something else. Yeah. Will you share what a hydrosol is for someone who might not know what that is? Yeah, sure. So sometimes they're referred to as hydrolats. I've heard, I think there are quite a lot of distillers and aromatherapists that prefer to use the word hydrolat, but basically, or aromatic waters. So basically it is the thought to be the kind of byproduct of the steam distillation of essential oils. And so when you're distilling essential oils, you get, you know, you have a, a bunch of steam that's pushed through the plant material. It captures all the good smelly stuff and transfers it over to where it then condenses back down into water. 
And because the, the essential oil is lipid based, it floats on the top and is siphoned off. And then what's left behind is this very beautiful aromatic water that has some of the it has some of the hydro, there's some of the essential oils left in it just naturally, but then there's also some of the uh, water soluble constituents as well that come over. So, so it's the kind of water portion of the distillation. Yeah. And we do agree with this, that, like they were once very popular, like I'm talking like hundreds of years ago, they were yes. like a thing and then they kind of fell out of favor for a while, but really in the past, I don't know, decade, they're really starting to come back. They are. Yes. Yeah. And I'd like to credit people like Jeannie Rose and Ann Harmon and quite a few others, Dan Riegler, who are really uh, kind of at the forefront of, well, and my, my dear friend, Ash Sierra of Ritual Botanica, they're at the forefront of distillation and really bringing distillation into the, the hands of the people again. And so there are a lot of herbalists that have kind of taken on this really beautiful relationship with, with plants and focusing on the aromatics and, and distilling the aromatics off. So I think, you know, it's wonderful to see. It's wonderful that, you know, distillation is becoming a more accessible operation for people. And I think that's part of the reason why we're seeing lots of hydrosols out there now. And it's, they're very versatile and they're gentle. So, you know, they can be, you know, they're, they're safe, they're gentle, they're versatile. You can use them for aromatherapy, for cosmetics, you know, depending on how you, they, how they've been distilled. You can also, you know, you know, you can use them internally, put them into your vodka spritzers. <laughs> Uh, you know, so there's lots of, they're very versatile, very gentle, very lovely skincare is I think is a big one. Uh, so mm -hmm. yeah, I, I have them all over my house and I'm just, you know, all day long, I'll just have little like places where I'll just stop for a moment and spritz, spritz, spritz and just over my face and, you know, body. And it's just a little pick me up and a way to experience the plants and so refreshing, um, isn't it? So, so refreshing. refreshing. Yep. And it's like, it gives you that, that second to just like stop. Mm -hmm. and breathe and feel refreshed in like a way that I, I don't feel like essential oils can go there. I feel mm -hmm. like, you know, I, sure, I think that, you know, working with essential oils like that can be very refreshing, but there's something about spritzing a hydrosol around your, your head and your face, and just really breathing it in and breathing it out. And then, okay, moving on. There's something really nice about that pause that they create. Yeah. So you like to distill rosemary. What other ways do you like to work with rosemary medicine? Yeah. So one of my favorite, 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 favorite preparations is the rosemary cordial. And cordials are really interesting because they're very old timey. Nicholas Culpepper talks about them a lot. So I'm bringing him back in. And they were, and then of course, my, my dear friend and colleague, Teresa Broadwin, she does a lot of stuff with cordials and elixirs. And these are, this is really emotional heart. This is an emotional heart sort of preparation. And it's usually with plants that have aromatics and are really, you know, best formulated, I think, with plants that are heart centered. So a lot of people like to use rose and, you know, hawthorn. And, you know, of course, here I am talking about rosemary. It's a really, really wonderful one. And in particular, the flowers, which I find, I don't know how to explain it, but there's something very just the vibration is very different. Um, but you can use either leaves or, or the flowers, or you could use both. And we don't really get, we don't get it like 
these huge, big rosemary bushes around here that go into flower like you maybe do out there on the West Coast. So the if you can get the rosemary flowers, great. If not, no worries. Once a year at just outside my office here is a medicinal plant greenhouse called Companion Plants. And, you know, he brings all his rosemaries in over the over the winter. So they overwinter inside the greenhouse and right late winter, February time going into March, they're all in bloom. Um, so mm-hmm. I just go in there and I'm, I hand pick all the flowers it takes hours. But by the end of the day, I mean, I feel mm-hmm. so different in myself and my heart and my mind. Everything's just fleshed out and feels good. And so it's quite a nice kind of ritual, I think to go and harvest the flowers if you can. But if you can't, no worries. But fresh rosemary, I think is the best. I tend to prefer like making the cordial with the fresh rosemary. There's something about capturing the water of the plant in this preparation. And Mm so I tend to use brandy when I'm doing my cordials simply because brandy is also thought to be for the heart. They say whiskey for the lungs, vodka for the gut, and brandy for the heart. So I like to use brandy. And really, it's kind of a standard tincture, which is, you know, this alcoholic extract. So you chop up the plant material really fine, and you add some honey in. And I've given you guys a recipe to try. But you can play with how much honey you use. And you just whiz it up. I sometimes have to use a blender to make sure all of the liquid covers all of the plant material because you don't want it sticking out while it's sitting. And I really love making this, the cordials. I I like to honor the moon cycles with the cordials just because it is more (laughs) emotional medicine. It's more, uh, well, not medicine, but it's more emotional support. So I like to really kind of honor the moon with all of that. And so you can make it on a full moon and, and let it sit for, you know, about four weeks or so into the next full moon. Uh, somewhere in a nice kind of quiet corner of your kitchen and then strain it out and bottle it and enjoy it one drop at a time. Put it in a little water, a little spritzer. You can put it in your bath. Lots of really lovely Mm -hmm. ways to incorporate it. Yeah. Especially if you need some, the bath is nice. And when you need heart support, you know, kind of it's, it's warming, it's, it's stimulating, it's comforting. And it's a little bit of sunshine. In fact, one of my my favorite authors, this is an old book. Her name's Elizabeth Brooke. She's over in the UK as well. And she's a medical medical astrologer and herbalist. And she writes here of this, this, a woman's book of herbs, great book. She writes, Rosemary opens the heart and allows the warmth of the midday sun inside where there is grief, anger, hatred, and bitterness. And so I love this idea of the the rosemary cordial being a really great vehicle for that, letting the midday mm-hmm. sun inside the heart. And what thinking about how that would feel, it's like, oh yeah, that's nice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that is nice. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for sharing the rosemary cordial recipe with us. And for the listeners, if you'd like to download your free recipe card, then you can visit the show notes at herbswithrosaliepodcast.com. I really like that sun and rosemary. One of my most favorite memories of rosemary is in the Mediterranean in Southern France and hiking right along the shoreline um, and seeing it, you know, grow, seeing rosemary grow out of these rocks because it's all rocky there. It's like limestone rocks and it's just growing out of this harsh landscape right on the sea and that, you know, dew of the sea and everything. It was a very special experience to get to know rosemary where oh yes rosemary likes to thrive and then i can still feel that sun you know from that day and the blue water and everything yeah. so yeah it's easy to imagine that opening of the heart into the sun yeah gosh that sounds lovely i want to go <laughs> 
especially this time of year. It sounds nice. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. Was well, there anything else you'd like to share about Rosemary? Well, um, I think that, you know, I, I just like with every plant, you know, not necessarily all plants are great for all people, depending on what's going on with their bodies and things like that. And Rosemary does have, um, of course, with the cordial recipe I, I gave, I think that it's very safe because we're talking about a few drops here and there. It's not like we're drinking tons of rosemary. But there just is a general caution if you, you know, if you have high blood pressure that it's a plant that you should probably do a little bit of research about before you start using it extensively. And yeah, just to remember that, you know, these are our allies and they're here for support. They're tools to support us in our own work, and they aren't necessarily going to fix things for us. So just to kind of remember that it's just as important. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I feel like rosemary is just an incredibly popular herb, and it's kind of, it's been a surprise to me. Like just my students have like choose rosemary as their plant ally uh, in very, you know, large numbers. It's probably one of the most popular plant allies. And you will be the third person to talk about rosemary on my podcast, which oh, wow. I love. Yeah, I love that. Um, sometimes I have guests say like, oh, can I talk about a plant someone already talked about? Yes, please do. Because we all have our different relationships with the plants and different things we bring in. And you are the third person to talk about rosemary and the first one to bring up grief. And um, And you brought it in in such a you know, a major way. So there's this whole other avenue of working with and understanding the gifts of rosemary. So thank you for bringing that in. Yeah, thank you. I mean, it seems like such a plant for these times, you know. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, yeah. And it's, I, I would recommend this for everyone, for every show, but there's something so aromatically special about rosemary that it seems like a great thing to go get your hands on some rosemary, um, you know, during this while you're listening or afterwards and, and breathe in that scent and, and feel that comfort that comes with rosemary. Yes, please. Well, I'd love to hear some of the projects you're working on, Erica. I've, I followed you for years on social media and newsletters, and you do a lot of really interesting things. And so I, I want to hear about them. Well, thanks. Yeah. I'm, um, well, I'm really coming into this time in my work with plants where I've really become very clear. I'm really excited about this because I feel like I've be really become very clear about my role as a clinical herbalist. And I think about one of the major themes that has shown up in my clinical practice over the years is this idea of trying to support people to have better relationships with their bodies. And there's there's various and sundry reasons why people don't have good relationships with their bodies. And I think there are a lot of pressures, whether they be personal, social, cultural, racial, gender-based, there's all different kinds of reasons why, you know, people dis disembody. And I think we're taught to disembody from a very early age. And so that disconnection, that lack of relationship, especially a lack of loving relationship with the body is I think a really critical piece that's missing in a lot of people's lives and it, it's missing in their health and wellness journeys. And so, you know, being able to be there to hold space for people as they kind of walk this path back into being in, in loving relationship with the body, that's really kind of where I think my work with the herbs shines. I, I talk about, you know, taking herbs and working with herbs are, you know, these sort of like daily acts of self-empathy. Mm. And so really kind of maximizing those experiences and really, you know, allowing people to kind of 
get back into their bodies and get into that good relationship. And so I've just recently launched, I'm really excited about, and I'm calling, this is a subject I've taught about. And I've, I taught, um, I did a, a free herbalism project with Mountain Rose Herbs about it not long ago, looking at aroma, psyche, and body, and how we can use aromatic plants or how the aroma from plants uh, communicates with the psyche. And because of that, how we can then communicate with our bodies and, and vice versa. So there's this really beautiful, you know, way of bringing plants into this work in this very potent, this really potent discussion between the psyche and the body. And so, so these aroma psyche and body sessions, it's a kind of a new thing is really just an opportunity for people to explore especially folks who are kind of stuck in their health and wellness, who really are needing a sounding board to kind of say, okay, this is where I am and this is where I want to be. You know, what are some good ideas about how I can get there? And we talk about, you know, different layers and different aspects of that person's wellness experience. And then while we're talking, I, I bring in other elements that I use as well. So sometimes I'll bring in tarot, sometimes I'll bring in my pendulum. And what I end up doing at the end of those sessions is blending an aromatic blend for that client. So it's either a botanical perfume perfume or it's a hydrosol based aromatic with flower essences. And we come up with some keywords to kind of help embolden and empower the client to continue working on their roadblocks and to, you know, to continue to like start making that commitment to, to the body. And so, and sometimes it helps if we have this, these tools, these symbolic, these symbolic medicine, this talismanic medicine to be able to kind of remind us of our work. I'm really excited about those and a little bit vulnerable, but also really excited. Um, and then I know well, I want to interject something. Oh, Erica. Yeah. I don't know if you know this, but on my site, I have, I do have a list of practitioners of herbal practitioners. Cause I get asked all the time, like I have such and such health problem, whatever do I take from it? for it. And so my response is always the best thing always is to work directly with a practitioner yeah. because there is so much nuance. You do need that sounding board. You need it for safety. You need it to, you know, efficacy. Anyway, I have a very short list of practitioners and you are on there. Um, so okay. I just want to put it out there that you are someone that I highly recommend. So well, and I'm grateful to you because I, I have actually had a number of clients come my way via your recommendation. So thank oh. you for that endorsement. Yeah. yeah, it's really nice of you. And and I think, yeah, you know, it just goes back to that whole conversation that we had with, you know, earlier about this idea that herbs can't fix problems. And, you know, I'll preface that with my, you know, my clinical work. One of the things that I try to emphasize the most is that we, when it comes to herbalism, we can't expect to swallow a solution we have to learn to be the solution and mm -hmm. it's a different, it's a different path. And, you know, that path to the becoming in better relationship with your body is it, it, it involves psyche. It is deeply engaged with emotional processes and some more deeply than others. And so I often recommend, you know, working alongside talk therapy and sometimes acupuncture or massage or other things that are going to help with, you know, bringing you safely back into that relationship. But again, it is, my clinical work, it really is this idea of being the solution rather than expecting mm -hmm. to swallow the solution. So, mm -hmm. so I'll put that out there. So yeah, so that's mm -hmm. one of the really exciting things that's going on are, are these aroma psyche and body sessions. And then I'm also really pumped because I'm collaborating with my dear friend, Ash, uh, Sierra of Ritual Botanica to, we, we put together this eight week, eight week course. So for people who are interested in learning about, it's called plants, planets, and psyche. And what it is, it's about pulling out the archetypes of from medical astrology of the kind of seven prime, like for 
I say seven major planets, the inner planets, and how those archetypes, for example, I talked about rosemary and the sun, how they manifest in the plant kingdom, um, how they manifest in our bodies, and also how they manifest in the psyche. So we talk about, mm -hmm. you know, sun in the body, we talk about sun in the plants, and then we talk about sun in the psyche and, and what that archetype mm -hmm. represents. So that's going to be a really mm -hmm. fun way of bringing together all of the stuff that I've been talking about in this chat with you into like a course, which kind of really dives deeply into some of these subjects. And I just love Ash to pieces. She's like, my, my best friend and sister mm. from another mister. So it's really fun <laughs> to collaborate with her. And everyone gets right. like this really cool, she's in the process of putting together these really cool course kits that go with it as well. So, and we bring a lot of aromatics in. So you might be surprised, mm. Rosemary might be in there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that sounds really cool, Erica. Yeah, I'm excited. I also want to mention your book because your oh, yes. aromatherapy book is the book that I recommend for people because... I am not an aromatherapist and I kind of just like work with essential oils here and there. And your book really helped me feel, it was like the first, like I felt so much safer and it just, everything was clear. And yeah. So please talk about your book and, um, Okay. So I highly recommend that too. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks. So yeah. So it's called the family guide to aromatherapy and, uh, let's see, it was published in 2019 and basically what it is, is a primer on, essential oil safe safety. So using so essential oils are really potent substances and they can be incredibly beneficial and supportive, but we have to recognize that they're super concentrated. And I think that there's, you know, it's a very complex, <laughs> I have to be careful how I say these things because you never know who might get offended, but I think there's a really complex, there's some really complex conversations going on, you know, about essential oil use essential oil safety, essential oil sustainability, and, you know, kind of trying to get away from this idea that more is better and that like more potent is better. And also just kind of realizing that essential oils are just like herbs, they're, they're, they're tools for wellness, but they aren't solutions, right? They're, they're tools, but they're not solutions. And so we have to kind of approach essential oils in a, with a different kind of reverence than, than like whole plant preparations. Uh, simply because they are really, really potent. And also because, you know, sustainability is, it takes an enormous amount of plant material just to create a very small amount of essential oil. And so I think in this day and age, we need to be really cognizant of the the resources that go into essential oils. So using them, the way that I, I, I put out the book was basically, you know, based on by age group. And I think that that was a really helpful way of organizing the information because, you know, depending on how old a person is or their age, really is going to influence, you know, what essential oils are thought to be the most safe for that population, but also the amount. So mm -hmm. I've kind of went through and, and broke it down from very, very young to, you know, the elderly. And, and it was really more collecting the information from essential oil safety experts that are out there and consolidating it into a digestible format. So mm -hmm. um, that's kind of what I, I attempted to do. I hopefully succeeded. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I feel like having being able to refer to that, it just gives me more confidence in being able to work with essential oils in a way that I know is going to be safe. And you yeah. mentioned in your introduction to that book that in the very, very beginning that you, you know, made some classic mistakes, which I have also made like, like <laughs> undiluted essential oils in the bath. Which oh, my ouch. A little bit ouchy. So <laughs> I, I appreciated that. And I just, yeah, I, I really love that book in terms of 
Like it's just so clear and straightforward. And like you said, digestible, because there are some other essential oil books out there on safety that are just like, it's like they're this tomb of a textbook that's very difficult to get through. So yeah, it's like, yes, I needed your book. So thank you for you're welcome. writing it. Yes, you're welcome. Thank you. And if people are interested, it is it is for sale on my website. So you can check out our shop and you'll find it there. And if you if you actually if you you can get it anywhere, you can get it on Amazon too. But if you buy it through my website, I sign it. So that's extra special. Nice. Yeah. Extra special. <laughs> yeah. Well, before we go, I have a question I'm asking everybody in season three, and that is what's new in your life about herbs right now? Right now, well, I wouldn't say it's exactly new, but it's more kind of like my seasonal focus. So I've been really trying to practice tree bark identification. And I know this sounds like super boring to a lot of people, but where I live here in Appalachia, like we have so many different kinds of trees. It's the biodiversity is unbelievable. And when you go into the woods this time of year, which is my favorite place, by the way, is being in the woods, usually by myself. <laughs> and you, when you look across the landscape, it's so easy to just kind of like zone out and like it's all gray and brown and it's you know gray and brown down but when you really start to open your eyes up there are like all of these different shades and patterns and you know when you really can start to pay attention to these you can start to identify the different tree species so i've been really practicing uh, very very much trying to practice my tree bark identification and it's so tough because sometimes <laughs> You know, it's like the bark looks like one way when it's really young, but then as the tree gets older, it looks totally different. And then sometimes it's like, well, it looks like this tree when it's young. So I, I always get them confused, like sugar maple and red maple. I always get confused. And so things like that. I So that's that's kind of my, my winter joy uh, plant. Mm -hmm. Yeah. While the gardens are sleeping and, you know, I like to just go out and practice. So I love that so much because it is. I live in a different environment than you and that like I'm zone four. So I have lots of snow on the ground right now. And so wow. all of the plant friends, the herbaceous plant friends anyway, are sleeping. And it is easy, you know, to look out on the landscape and say, yeah, it's winter. There's not a lot going on. But this is a wonderful example of how much there is once we just slow down and pay attention and, you know, just that that in itself is huge. But then, you know, seeing what else is there to see and yeah. You're just of it being like this, you know, gray tree, gray tree, gray tree. It reminds me of when I very first started studying plants. It was like green plant, green plant, small green plant, yeah. green plant. There's the wall of green. And <laughs> yeah, finding that the individuals within that wall of green was one of the most life enriching parts of my entire life. I mean, it brought the world to life. And I felt like I was alive because of it. Yes. So I love that this is like the next level, maybe, you know, like it's just like that. We're never ending in our search of aliveness or life enrichment. It's there's always more to dive deeper into. And that, that sounds like a nice dive deeper into project. Yes, for sure. And another reason why the plant kingdom is such a wonderful, it's just it's such a wonderful thing to study because it 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 is exactly that. It is so it is so life-giving. And you think about it, the plants have been around a lot longer than we have. So there's a lot of wisdom there. Um so dive in, have fun. It'll be for lifetimes, I'm sure. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Erica, for being on the show. It was such a pleasure to chat with you. Yeah. Thank you for having me. I had a great time. It was really great to see you. Likewise.
For the listeners, don't forget to head over to herbswithrosaliepodcast.com to get free access to Erica's recipe for rosemary cordial. Also available are the complete show notes, including the transcript. You can also visit Erica directly at sovereigntyherbs.com. I deeply believe that this world needs more herbless and plant-centered folks. I'm so glad that you're here as part of this herbal community. Have a beautiful day. Hey, thanks again for spending your valuable time with me today. I hope you found today's episode helpful. And if you're a new listener, thanks for checking out the show. And don't forget that you can find all the recipes, links, and show notes over at herbswithrosaliepodcast.com. While you're there, you can subscribe and get updates when new episodes release and even submit your requests for future podcast episodes. The world needs more people who are connected to the earth and the healing gifts of plants. I'm so glad that you're here for this adventure. Thanks for listening. Thank you to Rising Appalachia for the use of their beautiful song, Resilience. Listen to more from Rising Appalachia at risingappalachia.com.